Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Brother David Steindlrast was born in Vienna, Austria, where he studied art, anthropology, and psychology, receiving his Ph.D. from the University of Vienna. In 1953, he joined a newly founded Benedictine community in Elmira, New York, Mount Savory Monastery, where he is now a senior member. After 12 years of monastic studies in philosophy and theology, he was sent by his abbot to participate in Buddhist-Christian dialogue. His Zen teachers were Hakun Yashitani Roshi, Shoen Nagagawa Roshi, and Shuru Suzuki Roshi, and Aido Shimano Roshi. He became a leader in the monastic renewal movement and in 1975 received the Martin Buber Award for his achievement in building bridges between religious traditions. Among his often reprinted and anthologized books are Gratefulness, the Heart of Prayer, A Listening Heart, and Music of Silence. For decades, Brother David has divided his time between periods of a hermit's life and extensive lecture tours on five continents. He serves a worldwide network as co-founder of Gratefulness.org. Brother David, welcome to Conversations. Thank you very much, Maggie. It's good to be here. I've been a big fan for a long time since I think I don't know I'm sure you don't remember we had dinner years and years ago at Esalen and had a lively conversation there that is uh, a good place to have dinner together it is indeed (laughs) it is I'm really interested in talking about uh, a main theme of yours that's been a main theme as long as I have known about you and that's gratefulness because you've often tied it to the area of waking up Mm I'd like to hear you tell our listeners a little bit about the relationship of gratefulness to awakening in life. Well, uh, awakening in the, in the sense in which you and I are using this term now uh, is awakening to uh, our true self. Most of the time, unfortunately, we are caught up in the hamster wheel of the little ego that uh, runs around and around is not, not getting anywhere. And the, the little ego is always afraid and is always much preoccupied with the past, uh, either as a victim or as being proud of achievements and uh, preoccupied with the future as what all that has to be achieved and so forth, while our true self is simply in the present moment and uh, simply here and now, present. And whenever we are here and now, then we are truly grateful. And when we are truly grateful, we are in the here and now. And all the great spiritual traditions aim at this kind of consciousness of living in the now, of living from your true self, and Gratefulness is such a quick and easy way of getting you there because no matter how you try, you can't be present and uh, can't be grateful and not present in the present moment. 
I remember someone saying, I can't remember who it was, but they said, you can either be a host to God or a hostage to ego. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a, that's a lovely that's expression a of it. And in that, in the being a host to God is a relationship to the miraculous and the surprise and curiosity it comes from being a host. Yes. And I, I, I think surprise is a big element in your thinking around really beginning to look at the aspect of That's gratefulness. Right, because that is also connected with that waking up, which is the goal of all spiritual traditions is to wake up. Enlightenment is another word for it. Uh, all, all the great traditions aim at that, and gratefulness is a way of, of finding that true self, which is the awake self. Uh, and that is, again, as you pointed out, connected with surprise. Uh, and many people say, oh, well, so, uh, gratefulness that isn't really something that comes easy to me. Uh, I've not been trained for it or something like that. Or when there's so much misery in the world, I feel I owe it to myself to be miserable and I can't <laughs> be grateful or something like that. I know like a that. lot of people like yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, you can always start, uh, an easy starting point for a gra uh, grateful living is to ask, ask yourself, why is there anything at all and not just nothing? And that is a great surprise. And as Plato said, uh, all um, deep thinking starts with surprise. And that is a surprising fact. But then you can, of course, personalize that and spin it out and, and be surprised when in the morning when you wake up that you have another day to live. Older people will find this easier, but young people should uh, also be surprised because it's always a gift. Every new day is a gift. Uh, every new situation is a gift. If you start with su being surprised, if you remind yourself how surprising everything is, you have a little back door, so to say, to becoming more grateful. I don't want to assume that our listeners, you know, we often take words like we know what they mean, like love, mm -hmm. uh, which could be I love potatoes as well as mm -hmm. I love God. So that's kind of a, a big thing. When you're talking about gratefulness, can you define it for us as we start to get into the aspects of greatness. Yes. Gratefulness. Uh, I would say that gratitude, which is sort of the overall term, uh, has these two aspects. And one is gratefulness and the other one is thankfulness. Uh, often we confuse the two or we think only of saying thank you when we speak about gratitude. But if we check out our personal experience, we find that gratitude starts with appreciation. We appreciate something. And it's almost the feeling of uh, our heart filling up. We say, it, my heart is full to overflowing. Great fullness. Uh, great fullness. It's this filling up. And when it overflows, it overflows in thanks. But there is this silent beginning, this silent phase of gratitude in which it's just an expanding of your heart 
in deep appreciation, and then it overflows, and uh, then you say thank you. And, and both are important aspects. I also like this image of a vessel that is filling up and then overflowing because it suggests that the reason why we are not more thankful is that just at the point when the vessel is full and ready to overflow, we make it bigger uh, and there's more room. So last year, having this particular kind of cell phone or that particular kind of clothing or whatever you may, may think about was still very special and and uh, your heart overflowed in gratitude when you got that. But this year, advertising will convince you uh, that, oh, everybody has it. You need something else. And so uh, instead of letting yourself overflow with joy uh, and getting all that sparkle and joy that you get out of being thankful, uh, you just uh, take it for granted. And that's the opposite. That is the, the great uh, counterpoint to being grateful, taking things for granted. And we all know that when you take things for granted, uh, you don't enjoy them. You never enjoy anything that you take for granted. You enjoy only what you're grateful for. And in that sense, the key to joy is in our own hands. When we educate ourselves, when we train ourselves to be grateful, we will be joyful people. We will be happy people. Uh, joy being that kind of happiness uh, that happens when uh, independent of what happens. But regardless of what happens, you can be joyful, can be always happy. But in that sense, you can be happy because uh, you can be grateful for whatever comes in your life, not for everything, but in every situation. So when you uh, are told that you have a serious illness, you can't be grateful for the illness, but you can be grateful at that moment for the opportunity that this gives you. And opportunity is the key word. Opportunity is always the key word in gratitude. Most of the time it's the opportunity to enjoy, but once in a while uh, it's uh, another opportunity. And if you are in training, so to say, then you will ask yourself, well, what is this now the opportunity for? And it might be the opportunity to learn something new and maybe the opportunity to change your life because you have to change your life. There's something life-changing happening. It may be the opportunity to be patient, which is also a good thing to learn. So the, the difficult things, the, the things for which we cannot really be grateful, are still opportunities, give us opportunities that can make us happy. And opportunity is always the gift within every gift. That reminds me of something I've heard you say, and that is that gratefulness is related to the measure of our aliveness. Yes. So when you say this, I just hearing it, I'm more joyful, these things. Yeah. How, how do you see that, that expanding of aliveness besides the joy? But Well, I think that all our listeners will, will know this from their own experience, that 
no matter what you have and no matter how good and nice it is, if you take it for granted, it doesn't give you joy. You hardly notice it. But when you notice it and appreciate it, which means when you're grateful for it, suddenly it gives you great joy. That is also the reason why sometimes when we meet very poor people, uh, either traveling in, a, uh, in countries where the level of poverty is very high and the poverty is very obvious, or in our own country, the many, many, many very poor people in, in our uh, country from which most of us are kind of shielded. We live in a, a ghetto of relative wealth, at least. But if you meet very poor people here or abroad, you notice with great surprise that they are so joyful, very often they they are not moping or sitting around or wanting something else. They are the joyful ones because their vessel is very small and it overflows sooner. We know that from our own experience again uh, on a day in which we may be fasting or be on a hike and, and uh, are not able to have the kind of food that we normally have. You have a little less or you deprive yourself uh, voluntarily of, of uh, something, you appreciate the little that you have so much more. You get a lot more joy out of a piece of bread uh, when you are fasting than you get out of a, a, a piece of bread that's made into a sandwich and loaded with all sorts of things on top of it. When there's nothing on top of it, you really appreciate the bread that's carrying everything. Or you appreciate a glass of water uh, uh, when you don't have the juices or whatever else it may be uh, that you normally have. So uh, the, the less you have, the sooner your vessel will overflow the sooner your heart will overflow with thanksgiving, and that's where the sparkle comes in. That's where the joy comes in. I love what you said the other night about uh, we have a lack of lack. Yeah. Which, of course, relates directly to <laughs> in that. our culture, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's what's happening in our culture. We can be very grateful also that we have so much more. Most of us have so much more uh, than other people uh, have. We have so much that other people Lack, but we also should be aware that this is a, a danger and can lead to consumerism and it can lead to diminishing of our aliveness. We had our friend Lynn Twist on recently, uh, several times actually. It's always wonderful to have her here and, and talking about unexamined beliefs and assumptions. And of right. course, one of the, the key ones that we were talking about was the assumption that there's not enough, That's right. which, of course, would relate very much to constantly expanding the size of the bowl. And it leaves me wondering the role of mind and intellect in the area of gratefulness. And you've talked about that. Can you say something about that? Yes, it, you do have to be mindful to a certain extent. You, your intellect does come in when you are grateful. Your intellect has a somewhat difficult task here. On the one hand, you have to be intellectually alert enough 
to recognize the gift as gift. Uh, some people are just not uh, bright enough, <laughs> it seems. So. All of us are, are part of the time not bright enough to really recognize the gift. We, that's what I mean by taking for granted is one aspect of it. We go through life as if things just are like that, and you're, you're not aware of the fact that this is a gift. This is a, is a surprise. Why is there anything? So forth. So intellectually, you have to be alert. But then there is the other side where you can go overboard in being alert and uh, more than alert, and you're always suspicious. You see? So the dullness is on the one side, and the suspicion is on the other hand, where your intellect tells you, oh, well, there are always strings attached. There's not such a thing as a free lunch. Uh, what is this? This is probably a lap. What do they want a from trap. me? What do they want yeah, from right, Exactly, right. exactly. So we have to find this fine balance between the two of them. And it's not only our intellect that has to come in here in order to be grateful. It's also our willingness. Our willingness has to come in because not our willfulness, but our willingness. We have to willingly accept the gift as gift. And you should think that that is very easy, but for many people and for us, each of us at certain times, it's not that easy because we get the feeling that we are dependent, you see. We don't want to be dependent on, on anybody. That is, of course, very stupid because <laughs> we are totally dependent all the time, uh, whether we want it or not. But we want to be independent. And so I remember cultures, other cultures where I have traveled and, and in my youth, uh, the, our own culture was still very different. And people would bring one another dishes, for instance, when somebody new moves into the neighborhood and you bring them a dish and say a salad or something, a soup, and you say, until you get settled and you can cook for yourselves, we are your neighbors and here's a... And nowadays people will say, oh, let's not start this whole thing. It just leads to obligations, you see. Well, uh, obligations are the lifeblood, mutual obligations of a healthy culture where everybody is obliged to everybody else. We would even say, instead of saying thank you, you, you could say in English, very much obliged. It sounds like you were a dinosaur if you say this nowadays because nobody wants to be obliged. <laughs> but it, it, it I used remember to my be grandfather always said saying that. that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so these obligations were something very healthy. And so in order to accept an obligation, you have to do it willingly. And by accepting a gift, you are in some way entering into a relationship and you're into a certain interdependence. We think of independence as being the opposite of dependence, but both dependence and independence are on one side, and on the other side is the interdependence, and that is what we need. That, that's what we need in our whole world, an awareness of interdependence. And again, gratefulness gives you that wonderful sense of interdependence, not only the sense of it, but the joy in it. It's, it's so joyful to receive and give gifts and give thanks, which is really giving yourself. You're not paying for the gift when you give thanks. You give yourself back 
That's more than a gift. So it's the intellect and it's the willingness and it is also your emotions that have to come in here. And sometimes the emotions are scarred. Uh, I think we all remember a situation in which uh, someone, a crowd or somewhere, uh, it seems to, to us that somebody is smiling uh, and I'm smiling back at this lovely smile that I received there and then something doesn't seem to be quite right and I turn around and there's somebody behind me <laughs> for whom this <laughs> smile was meant. Uh, now, that is not a very traumatic experience but if you imagine that somebody grows up and throughout uh, childhood, for instance, Always when they think that it is meant for them, when they think that uh, a gift is given to them, it turns out that it wasn't really for them, it was for somebody else. So you can become emotionally scarred. And there are many other reasons why you can become emotionally scarred. And then you have to be very, very patient with yourself uh, because the emotions also have to come in when you are grateful and swing with it. The emotions celebrate, you see. The intellect recognizes the gift as gift. The will acknowledges the gift as gift willingly. Uh, and the emotions celebrate it. And only when these three aspects of our being come together can we be wholeheartedly grateful. Mm. And whenever you are really grateful, you are wholeheartedly grateful. Okay, it doesn't make any sense to imagine somebody's half-heartedly <laughs> grateful. It doesn't ring right. So, uh, we, But authentically. Authentically is in Authentic is the wholeheartedness. Yeah. And authentic means that you do it from your true self, from that center of your true self, not from that little ego that's caught up in the hamster wheel, but from the free, true uh, self. And to reach that point becomes ever more urgent for our uh, society. For, uh, we have to, uh, as quickly as possible, reach a, a critical mass of people who uh, live not uh, caught up in the ego, but uh, in that freedom of finding more and more, uh, more and more at home in the true self, in the true self. Because then we have reached a different level of consciousness. And our uh, whole human family is at the present moment passing through a threshold that doesn't happen very often. It is possible that this hasn't happened to us for the last 5,000 years. For 5,000 years, approximately at that time, we discovered personality, individuality, uh, in the individual. Uh, before that, it was just the community, and then the individual grew out of the community. And now it took us 5,000 years to develop that individual individuality in a positive sense. There are many wonderful thing, things that have come out of it. But now we are at the point where this individualism tends to destroy us. We need to retain all that is good about it and rise to another level in which uh, we are connected with others. It's the transpersonal level to which we have to rise. And only on that higher level of consciousness will we be able to deal with the challenges that uh, life gives us at this present moment. 
on all different levels of, of crisis that we experience. So there too, gratefulness as a spiritual practice, grateful living can become uh, extremely important for catapulting uh, the human family to a higher level of consciousness. It's as serious as that, as, as important as that. It's not just a matter of saying thank you once in a while or being nice and smiling. It's, it's a, a really great challenge. Mm -hmm. But of course, if you do make gratefulness uh, your practice, and it can be a spiritual practice just like yoga or Zen or, or other spiritual practices that we know by their names. Uh, so grateful living can be a real practice if you practice it. Uh, that means if you conscientiously do it, if you set a little time aside every day to practice it and then carry this practice out in your daily life. And there are many little things that you can do. I always suggest, for instance, reminders. Give yourself little reminders. For instance, oh, well, when I was in, in Africa some years ago and lived for a while without electric light and without uh, drinkable water, when I came back, I was just so overjoyed to see that, you know, you switch on a switch and it gets light and, and you... Uh, turn on the faucet and out of it comes drinkable water, hot and uh, cold, uh, just incredible. But it wore off very fast. You get used to it and take it for granted. So I didn't want to lose that joy that I had when I rediscovered it. And so I put little stickers, just a little uh, scotch tape on the light switch and a little scotch tape on the water faucet. And uh, every time I went to the switch, I was wondering, what's this? Oh, brought me back light, electric light. Or what's this on the, on the faucet? Oh, water. And it, it prolonged that sense. So some people have, many people have the practice of writing down in the evening one thing for which they were grateful on that day and which they have never been grateful for before. And I did that for many decades. And um, I don't think I repeated myself. You can always find new things that you have never thought of. And that enriches your life. That makes your life life happy. So these little reminders are good. And another way of practicing gratefulness is that you connect it with beginnings and endings. So, for instance, the first of everything in the day, the first time you open your eyes. It's easy to train yourself to remember that there are many m millions of people who are blind and can't open their eyes. They don't have eyes. And so you, even if it's at a time when you don't like to get up, <laughs> uh, you will open your eyes more joyfully if you remember, wow, this is a gift. This is a gift. I have eyes to open. And you have shoes to put on and you have feet to walk on. Uh, much of the time we remember uh, the blessing of having feet uh, or legs when we break a leg. And then, we oh, I never appreciated how wonderful it was to be able to walk. And now for whatever time it takes to heal, I'm just limping around. 
it's a, it's a good idea to appreciate it when you have it and not wait until you lose it. Reminds me of the Joni Mitchell song, You Don't Know What You've Got Till It's Gone. That's exactly yeah. it. That's exactly yeah. it. It's, it's That's a good thing to remember. <laughs> so the beginnings, or when you put the car key into your car, uh, before you turn it, for a moment to be grateful that you have transportation. Or when you take your token out to pay at the subway or at the bus, for a moment you're grateful that uh, you have transportation. Or when you first sit down uh, to start working, not with a sigh and with a groan, ah, another work day, but you sit down and you, it's your habit to say, thank God I have a job. Thank God I have a job. Many people don't. Especially these days. These days, yeah. yeah. So the first that helps, and, and sometimes the last, when you close the door to go home from your place of work, or when you slam the car door and go into the house, uh, that's the last. And that also is so easy to train yourself whenever you do the last thing to be grateful for whatever you have now accomplished. I've gotten home. So close the car door and walk into your apartment. And of course, the traditional ways before and after meals that you thank God or thank life or whatever it is that you thank for what you've got, the meal. If, if it's just without words, just a moment of silence, just a moment of silence. Well, what I always like when I'm with a group of people uh, around the table, we just hold hands, you see, because that also brings out the idea that the meal is a community affair. As long as there are humans uh, on this earth, eating was most of the time a matter of eating together, the family or the tribe or the group. Uh, eating alone is, is a very unusual thing. But even if you are, uh, have your life situation demands from you that you eat alone, you can, before you start eating, have a little moment and remember all the other people who eat alone and you're all of a sudden in communion with them. You're no longer alone. It's not only a matter of touching, it's a matter of remembering. That's always the important yeah. thing. Of course, practices are what helps us remember, too. I exactly, mean, exactly. I remember another practice I heard that you had, with that you had a theme, thematic practice, that today I'll be thankful for water wherever I see it, or I'll be That's thankful right. for whatever's green, or That's right. uh, whenever I see someone smile, I'm going to make a practice of that. And, and so that you know, essentially takes us back to our aliveness, which, which we of, were talking about in the beginning. Exactly. It's a kind of playfulness, you see. Uh, and playfulness is very important uh, for coming alive. And uh, gratefulness has a lot to do with playfulness also. If we invent these little games where on Wednesdays we enjoy blue wherever we see it and uh, on uh, Fridays we practice the sense of smell and we see what where it smells in different places where we haven't really paid much attention to the smell or s smell the bushes as we're walking by in a park or so, take the time to smell. That kind of playfulness can do so much for us to, to come alive. Mm -hmm. And for uh, it's also something that you can practice with older people, like in uh, retirement homes, uh, sometimes people just sit around and 
if uh, the nurses or the fr- uh, friends who visit them can play little th- things like that with them. Old people are often very ready for for gratefulness. Uh, many old people really thrive on remembering uh, all the things that they had in their life and, and with gratitude. And if they don't do that, the danger is that they will remember them with bitterness. You've been listening to We Earth Radio, and this is your host, Michael Stone, with my guest today, Brother David Stendelrast. In the background, Jesse Cook, Broken Moon. And I am so grateful to be able to be with you here, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you'd like to hear more shows, you can go to my website, Well of Light, that's W E L L O F L I G H T dot com. There's hundreds and hundreds of amazing interviews and meditations and classes there. I hope you'll join me on welloflight.com. Thanks again for listening. Let's hear a little more of Jesse before we get back to Brother David. Well, David, you remind me of my favorite saint, (laughs) which is St. Francis. And uh, one of the lines in the prayer of St. Francis that I I love is, in giving that we receive. And I, I would like to break it down another step here and look at the contract between the giver and the receiver, because there is a contract there of some kind, and each one plays a part, a very vital part. Can you speak to that a little bit about the relationship of giver and receiver? It is in giving that we receive is, is of course, what's making me think of that. That's right. Every giving is, is of course, reciprocal by its very nature. You give and you give thanks. And uh, when you give thanks, you're not paying, you're not even paying off a debt because sometimes people feel about uh, saying thank you as if that were some sort of a debt. Uh, it's rather the acknowledgement of your interdependence. That's what it is. And uh, there are cultures that are profoundly grateful cultures, uh, two that I know from personal uh, experiences in India and in New Zealand, the Maoris, the Aborigines of New Zealand, 
And in those cultures, they're, as I say, very celebrating their interdependence all day long, but they don't even have a word for, for thank you. And if they want to say thank you, which they do nowadays often, they will use the English word thank you, but there isn't, isn't a Maori word for thank you. And I asked my Maori friends, if you had a Maori word, what would you say? How would you say thank you in Maori? And uh, after some thought, uh, the woman said, I guess I would just say, that's right. <laughs> meaning that's how one behaves, you see. And if you would say thank you in those cultures, it would be almost, it's too much, it's its overdone. It would be like a friend holds the door open for you so when you come with your grocery bag, bags and you give your friend a tip, something like that. It's so inappropriate. And in these cultures in which give and take is still so alive and so interwoven the relationship, as you say, between the giver and the receiver and vice versa, that need not be a word for thanks. It is just acting gratefully. That, that's the decisive thing. One of the things I think about sometime, I'm reminded of uh, Mother Tessa and myself and others who have started early in life with grief, with big sadness. And some people, that becomes what drives them to a more meaningful life, uh, a more awake and aware life. Um, and others turn hardened and close their heart. Can you speak to that a little bit about how do we turn our tragedies into gratefulness and find that place and open our hearts up? And what are the things that stop us from doing that and hold us from doing that? Yes. At the moment when we are confronted with pain and loss and, uh, and crisis, at that moment, I do not know what to do. I, I would not know. Uh, I know what not to do. And, and one thing not to do is uh, to tell a person, you know, this is also a, a, a gift of God or this is also a good opportunity <laughs> and you should really be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't definitely work. <laughs> not something to do. Uh, in the book of Job, in the Hebrew Bible, Job is, uh, lo loses everything he has in this sort of the model of the person that is beset by misery and loss and loses even his health and, and sits then on a dung heap, scraping him uh, his wounds and his sores, and his friends come. And so the, the whole book is really a development of what the friends tell him, good advice. And in the end, God comes and says, that was all nonsense what you said. Uh, but my favorite point in, in this story is when the friends first arrive, the book of Job tells you, and they sat down with Job in silence. And it says for a whole week. This is what we we need to do with people who are in grief, not give them good advice, but sit down with them. And sitting down probably means holding them, putting their arm around their shoulders or holding their hands or being physically with them and silent and holding their grief, sharing their grief without saying anything. But your question was then, how can we become grateful or how can we 
turn these bad experiences into something like life-giving. And that works only in what I call the rear mirror of your life. Uh, just as in your car you see things in your rear mirror that you can't see otherwise, in your life through memories you can see I would challenge everybody to look at their own lives and see if that isn't true in their life. We, I think all of us have some experiences way back in our lives or not so long ago of which we thought that they were just catastrophic and they were the end of everything and I can't even live on and and so forth. And then somehow, uh, years later or a certain time later, we look back on it and we say, yes, it was awful, but it led to so many good things. And the reason for that is that life really gives us always creative opportunities if we rise to the occasion. Even the worst things that happen to us, it's just a matter of experience, can become life-giving and, uh, and life-changing and, uh, and life-enriching if we take the opportunity. Uh, come back to this magic word, opportunity. Uh, even a calamity offers us an opportunity, and as we look back on our lives, we recognize the times when we took these opportunities, made something creative out of, the, out of it, and our life was enriched and improved by it. So the one thing that I do not know is why the same experience would make some people bitter yep. and other people in the long run joyful, uh, at least um, enriched by the experience. I do not know what throws this little switch in a given case, but I do know that if you practice gratefulness. Gratefulness can throw that switch. I, I don't know what else does it, and I'm sure there are other things, but I do know that if you are in the practice of gratefulness, in the practice of availing yourself of the opportunities that every given moment offers you, most of the time the opportunity to enjoy. When something really terrible happens to you, for which you cannot be grateful, you will be grateful for the opportunity that this bad thing, in quotes, offers you. And the opportunity may be one to learn, to change, uh, to change your life, uh, to be patient, whatever, something positive. Yeah. I'm reminded years ago I worked for a foundation and we were looking at the question, how come one person goes to prison and becomes a hardened criminal and another person goes and becomes like the person we were talking about today, a, sa a saint? Yeah. And I uh, had the opportunity to um, uh, meet a man who came to speak named Sidney Rittenberg who was uh, the China witness. And this was just after China opened up oh, after all these yeah, years. Yeah, and yeah. Sydney had spent 32 years there, 16 mm. of them in prison and mm. 15 in solitary confinement in two different times. Oh, my goodness. And he was the most joyful man I knew. Sometime we'll talk about the story of that. But what I'm looking at is there's this opportunity to transform the past in a sense. Because if we have these events and then we practice 
gratefulness. And we get to some point in our life when we can see the gift that it's given us in that time. It literally transforms the past. So we we have this amazing power to do that. And it seems to me that the only thing that stops us from transforming the past is fear. That's a big only thing. Can you address fear and our relationship to fear? Uh, you've been around a lot in, in your well, life. I would say if, if there's one thing that I could, one little switch that I can throw in the world or one little change that I can make sort of for the whole world, where would I get the biggest leverage? And I'm absolutely convinced it would be by eliminating fear. Mm. Uh, because it, even aggression is occasioned by fear. Of course, it's both ways. The, uh, aggression makes you fearful. But originally, aggression comes from fear, from fear that there isn't enough, so you have to defend yourself. Um, and fear comes from aggression. Both. It's like the last eight years of the war on terror. Exactly. It is kind of a, a, a vicious circle in which you get caught up. And it's important for me to remember th- that fear is so destructive. And I know how difficult that is given our, the, the kind of civilization in which we live and, and the news media and all that. But I try not to repeat anything that will make people fearful. Uh, That is really something that uh, is a good idea to uh, pay attention to. All right, it's it's a frightening news, but the box stops here. I will not tell it, I will not tell it anybody else. And even uh, some organizations work with fear as a, a motor to encourage people. Huh? For instance, the fear of global warming uh, or the fear of whatever else it may be and get people to do something about it. I'm all for uh, environmental rightness and uh, for people waking up. People uh, Sometimes organizations think they can wake people up by fear. Well, I guess they can wake them up, but there are nicer ways of waking them up and more constructive ways of waking them up. If you just put the emphasis on, look, here's the opportunity to uh, rescue our world. And then you don't don't stress the fear aspect. That's a good – my sense of working in – from prisons to corporations, yeah. <laughs> not that there's particularly a relationship there, but yeah. <laughs> is that everyone wants to make a difference and contribute no matter what stage they're at. And so if we could nurture the opportunities, but along with fear right now comes busyness mm-hmm. and busyness seems to stop people from taking the opportunity to, say, be of service, which is, of course, very much related, again, to gratefulness. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts around that? Yes, yes. Uh, fear is, of course, also typically the attitude of the little ego. The little ego is, uh, strictly speaking, just an illusion. It isn't even a reality because the little ego lives from the illusion that I am separate from everybody else. That is the main 
mistake. That's the main illusion. And because I am separate from everybody else, I have to fear everybody else. I, I become insecure. And there may not be enough around uh, if we are separate entities from one another. So, again, fear creeps in there, and fear is uh, the indication that we live in that little, what I call the hamster wheel of the of the ego, this, this typical life in which we tend to get caught up. And to get out of that into our true self, gratefulness can help you because as, as we know from experience, when we are grateful, we are present here now we, and we are not afraid. You can't be afraid and at the same time grateful. You're grateful for what you otherwise would be afraid of. For instance, so many people suffer from xenophobia. The, anybody doesn't look like us uh, is one of them, and we are afraid of them, whoever they are. And, and uh, eventually, uh, all the others are potential terrorists or something like that. Well, gratefulness, uh, a grateful attitude looks at all the different people. Oh, what a joy that there are so many different people around and so many different races and so many different faces and so many different skin colors. It's it's a gift. It's a, it's a richness. And again, you mentioned Lynn Twist before. She's also one of my great models and I admire her no end. And she always speaks of switching from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance, uh, of enough. Uh, and that means uh, switching from the little ego to the true self. The true self is one for all of us. We have only one self, all of us, and that expresses itself then in different personalities. You never get rid of your ego as long as you're in this world, but it's then a different kind of ego. It's it's not that deserving ego uh, that thinks that that little ego that thinks I deserve everything. That little ego that insists the world owes me something. And but it's the serving ego. So a true self needs to manifest itself in this world and manifest itself. Then, like the Dalai Lama is a good example. You speak of him maybe as egoless when you meet him. That just means he doesn't have the kind of thick ego, <laughs> the, the, the deserving ego that, uh, that, that we are familiar with. But he certainly has an ego, a beautiful serving ego. He reads his art, he serves. And so uh, many less known people or completely unknown people that we meet, they live from their true self and they reach out and they serve everybody. So their persona is only a tool to serve. And that's my goal, to become egoless in the sense that uh, I'm not stuck in my little ego. Right. But I yeah. reach out. And I think some people, our listeners probably, uh, think sometimes, and I've thought in the past, that we can somehow annihilate the ego, if we pray hard enough or we work hard enough or we serve enough. And I, I finally come to my own conclusion that I'm never going to get rid of the ego, but can I make friends with and know its characteristics, its moods, its manipulations, its need to be loved, all of these different aspects of it can i can i actually see when i'm doing that and then to to move into a place of service which is of course another way of 
saying, how do we move from fear to love? Exactly. It is. It is. Because, again, the ego is identified by fear. Fear is the most typical aspect of the little ego. As long as we are fearful, we know we are stuck in the little ego. Because there is nothing to fear when all is one. And for the true self, all is one. There is just this one self. Even the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, if you go back to the original text in the Hebrew Bible, it doesn't say love your neighbor like yourself. You are two and you like yourself and then you do some mental acrobatics and you also like your neighbor as if your neighbor were yourself. This is not at all what's, what's said there. It says love your neighbor as yourself. There is only one self. That's you and your neighbor. And it expressed that one self expresses itself in two different uh, manifestations to, to make life richer and to make life more interesting and so forth. And so when you find that true self, you cannot but love. That is the expression of love. Your true self is a loving self. And love... As a working definition, we could say that love is the yes to belonging. Mm. It's, it's saying a wholehearted, enthusiastic yes to belonging and to limitless belonging. That is love. And when we fall in love, we experience how easy that is to say, yes, I belong, I want to belong, I want to belong even more. It pains me that I cannot belong more. But falling in love is something that happens to us once in a while, and it's one of the best things that can happen to us. But it's not the end. It's the challenge then to rise in love, you see. And to rise in love means that you retain this sense of an enthusiastic yes to belonging to everybody, limitless. Yes. And of course, you, we can't. We are limited as human beings, so there will always be people that are closer to us, that, um, uh, with whom we resonate more, that make it easier to, to love them. But basically, we should have at least the attitude that my yes to belonging is not to all human beings, and not only to all human beings, but to all animals, plants, the whole the whole universe, I belong, whether I like it or not. And, and to express that belonging is love, not yeah. just is love. And to, to belong to the wide diversity, I'm, I'm thinking of in nature where, where life thrives, is that when there's more diversity. And it makes always. it so much more enjoyable, so yeah. much more interesting. Yeah. Imagine if there were just all the generic flower, you know, <laughs> out there. There's not such a thing in nature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brother David, we're coming close to the close of our show. I'd like to hear any thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, anything we might not have covered that you would like to uh, express or share. I want to tell our listeners that they can find out more by going to www.gratefulness.org, your website. Any closing thoughts you'd like to share with us? Well, this just comes to my mind. I've again and again during our conversation referred to the need to rise to a higher level of consciousness. And that consciousness differs 
from the consciousness that unfortunately is still prevailing in the world, uh, which is a consciousness of we and they, while the new consciousness has to be an integrating consciousness that sees the positive of both sides, does not play one off against the other, does not play myself off against them, we and they, but is integrated, integrative. And it's the great challenge for us to rise to that level, to forget party politics, to forget anything that has to do with we and they, anything that has to do with opposition, become inclusive and integrative. I think that is the great challenge before all of us today. Well, Brother David Stendlerast, I want to thank you and let you know that I'm infinitely grateful for your taking the time to be on Conversations. And I'm very grateful to you, Michael, both for our conversation and for the work you're doing. And I realize what a very, very important role uh, the media are playing in our time. And so while sometimes it is disappointing to see what the, the media are doing, all the more I'm grateful and delighted when I see that somebody is doing something so positive. And congratulations to all your listeners, too. Uh, thank you <laughs> for them and for me. Blessings. Thank you. We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.